do you think many Christians lack a firm foundation as a result of the brand of Christianity we've been selling for the last hundred years or more? You know, namely a, a faith that's consumeristic in which mm-hmm. the idea is you show up to receive, um, you know, words from a pastor, you lift your hands for what tends to be, you know, individualistically driven praise songs, you put your kids in the best programs, you tithe, you know, mm-hmm. where does a mature developmental formation take place in that kind of Christianity? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter, so each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host, and this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. Go ahead and click that subscribe button and be sure to rate and review the podcast as it helps others find us. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters. Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carlisle Mike Wick, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a special shout-out to our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Allie Patterson. She's a teaching pastor at Crossroads Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. She's the author of a new book, How to Stay Standing. Allie, thank you for joining the conversation. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on. Cincinnati is uh, a great town, uh, home to, uh, formerly home to Kenner Toys, which is one of the most substantial toy companies in history. We won't get down to the nerdiness of that, but which brings me to my first and most pressing question. Skyline, Gold Star, or the Chili Hut? I I reject all of them oh, for God. my uh, for my homemade chili. I don't like. I really don't like Skyline, and that's the worst thing to say in Cincinnati. Oh, so Skyline's I actually official say, sponsor of this podcast. So, oh uh, no, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I have <laughs> like I live like two miles from the biggest Skyline, so everybody I know goes there all the time. My husband and I did not grow up in Cincinnati, either one yeah. of us, and so we didn't we didn't um, get raised on chili. I do like chili, just for the record. I just yeah. don't love Cincinnati chili. I know well, that's it, awful. I no, know no, that's no. Awful. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Here's my deal. Come up with a different term because it's not chili. Chili does not have I cocoa agree. powder and pasta and a totally mound agree. of cheese on top. It's delicious. It's amazing. I'll eat any brand that you give me. Mm-hmm. Just don't call it chili. Uh, I agree. We, I'm a real chili fan. So <laughs> <laughs> we did a we did a uh, chili cook off a church I served, and um, you know I was trying to encourage 
anybody to sign up really there's no bad way to do chili i was like with the exception of cincinnati chili and i had this guy beeline it to me after the service and he goes i want to let you know i was offended by what you said i'm from cincinnati oh, no. and i love cincinnati chili i was like great just don't call it chili so he, yeah, uh, really. he, he brought a cincinnati chili and uh just for record it didn't even come in the top 10 so um i'm so, not yeah. surprised it's something else <laughs> altogether it's a topping of some sort i agree yeah. <laughs> so uh so tell us about crossroads church oh yeah crossroads um well i've been i've actually served two different times on staff at crossroads church so i've seen it grow over many years um crossroads is uh it's a non-denominational christian church here in cincinnati and we have um i think it's nine campuses now um, all over not only the Cincinnati region, but Dayton, Columbus, and down into Kentucky as well, and um, a couple of even college campuses. So Crossroads has been growing and growing, of course, except during the COVID era where I don't think any church grew. <laughs> However, um, we are back to, um, I would say, hitting hitting stride again, really seeing some nice growth and fruit again after that um, COVID era that, you know, every church and every pastor I know was um, pulling their hair out on a regular basis, trying to figure out what God was doing and how to shift toward it and away from other things. So yeah, yeah Crossroads is um, definitely about bringing people into relationship with Christ and especially noted for, I think the way that we um, serve around the world. It's probably some of the most attractive work, especially to a younger generation that goes on at our church, is ministry and opportunity to serve and go on mission trips. We call them go trips all around the world. And so um, that's just some of the things that we invest in on a regular basis. I, I am personally, um, I'm all about teaching. I develop content. I teach. I communicate um, in all different settings. That's what I love. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I've been called to. And so um, I serve as a teaching pastor on staff at Crossroads. So, um, you know, it's always interesting for non-denominational uh, churches. Obviously, you know, it's kind of coming out of probably the a culmination of several different traditions. So what would you say mm -hmm. probably is the closest tradition that, you know, maybe influenced your way of approaching the pastoral role and, and certainly, you know, for, for Crossroads itself? Well, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. And um, so I would say there's definitely some influence there in my own background. But I went to Dallas Theological Seminary which is not officially affiliated with anything Southern Baptist, but it certainly has a, a very big Baptist influence. And so um, being being in Dallas and, you know, all the professors, of course, serve at their own um, congregations, at least most of them do in various kinds of ways. And so I would say those two probably for me personally have um, been pretty influential. And I think um, our senior pastor, one of the reasons that we vibe is I do think there's some influence in his background as well from the Presbyterian church and more traditional Protestant denominations, I think for both of us. So and we'll get to the book in a second, but I'm fascinated you brought up the pandemic as I talk mm -hmm. with local church pastors, um, you know, obviously the challenges are, you know, present and, and we understand what those challenges are. What do you think, um, 
What do you think Crossroads as an organization learned and is changing as a result of the pandemic and how you approach being the church? Well, I think the big tension that we're wrestling with right now in so many ways in ministries is that COVID accelerated this instinct that people were already having to live their life in a hybrid manner, part in person and part online. And COVID kind of accelerated that. And if you ask me, it's causing a lot of theological questions to be pushed to the surface on what actually is the church and what expressions or ministries or things of the church or in the church can be executed with integrity online versus what the church is. And can the church actually itself be present and full online? Um, There's all kinds of things that I think we suddenly did as a, as a um, response to COVID that were, was almost an experiment with various aspects of the church being executed online. And so some of those worked well and can continue. And others of those just outed the fact that, man, you know, the church is not and can't be fully executed without being embodied and present with one another. And I mean, that's, that's my personal view. And I think what we watched fail and struggle in even, even attempts to keep some things going after the pandemic was easing really taught me as I watched it and went up a level and looked at it from a theological standpoint, boy, we are embodied people and the body of Christ needs to be present in the flesh together in some kind of expression in order to be fully who the church is intended to be. And so that I would say we have wrestled with that in all kinds of ways and all kinds of ministries um, inside of our church since the pandemic. Yeah. But some of that, I think we're going to get to in our book conversation as the way that you've kind of structured this thing. So let's, let's jump to the book. Um, Sure. How to stay standing. This book invites readers to consider essential practices for building a faith that lasts. Um, You wrote, There's a life and strength for you far beyond your own. There's a better foundation for your life than you and your money, your reputation, your connections, your adventures, your intelligence, and your morality and goodness. What inspired you to write this book now? Um, What I see is a lot of people, and I'll bet sitting in churches across the United States in every denomination, are people who genuinely want to live a good life. They genuinely want to be good people, decent neighbors, but you could spend your whole life trying to build something that was built on sand, that was built on a foundation that was never going to last from the very beginning. And it grieves me to watch that because um, this book, the premise of it is a parable that Jesus told called the parable, the wise and foolish builder. It's one of his more transparent parables. It's pretty obvious what he's talking about. It's just not always obvious how to do it. And that's really why I wrote this book, because he's clearly saying, when you build your life on me, what you build on me lasts, stands, and what you don't build on me falls. And the question that I was seeking to answer is, how do you do that? What does that mean? What would that look like? Um, Instead of just leaving it at, yep, two thumbs up, I think I'm doing it, you know, I'm doing all the right things. And um, it grieves me to watch people who truly want to know God build their life in a way that was never going to last. 
let's go back to that language you just used, which is obviously part of the the subtitle, um, the <laughs> idea of a faith that lasts. What do you, what do you mean by that? Um, yeah, sure. Thanks for asking that. Um, what I mean is I is exactly what Jesus, I think, intended with that parable was to suggest that nobody lives a life that escapes trouble. That's evident in the scriptures. And frankly, if you're over 15 years old, you've figured that out. And so a faith that lasts to me can weather going through periods of your life that you don't understand, that you're not sure what God is doing, that you do get hurt and that aspects of your life don't go the way that you planned. And it's evident to me in the scriptures that that is going to be the case for all of us. In the parable, the, the language Jesus uses is about a flood. And the most fascinating thing about floods in Israel is that they happened all the time. This wasn't like a one-time catastrophic event. This was like, he was insinuating that you're gonna live a life where the flood is gonna come not just once, but over and over and over again. And so to me, those tend to be the times where people begin to question God. Where is he? What are you doing? Why am I suffering? Why, how come I didn't know this was the case? You know, all kinds of questions surface. And your faith is either real during that and helpful or you will lose it because we, we actually have a living God who can be in those spaces with us. But when our faith isn't built really on Christ, it tends to fall away during those times. This book is um, not filled with what I would call unexperienced platitudes that sometimes you get from Christian writing. You, you walk your readers through some of the most difficult aspects of your own journey. Um, you wrote, barely into my young marriage and professional career, I had an affair with a man at work. I was exactly mm -hmm. what you think, a complete mess personally, professionally, emotionally, and relationally. Mm -hmm. I was too immature and too blind to see the cracks in my life that led straight here. Why yep. was transparency a critical part of your writing process? Um, my, I have a good friend. Do you have a friend that um, it, it just, this person just asks you the questions that get under your skin that kind of irritate you. They're always the truth teller in your life. And, you know, we all have that, that friend. And so um, when I first started thinking about writing in general, and um, my, my good friend, she's brilliant, maybe one of the brightest people I've ever known. And she knows me very well. And she said, um, you know, you don't make any sense without the full story. And she said, um, you, you have to think about that. And I said, what? I was very irritated with her um, insistence on that. And, but it, I know that it was God planting that seed very early on that I would be leading people away from the very message that I want to give if I didn't say who I really was. Because if you met me now, what you would meet is somebody that looks cleaned up on paper. You know, God has done amazing things in my life. I'm so grateful. And, you know, you could just hit the bullet points and go like, oh, wow, okay, she's, you know, shiny on the outside and dismiss it. It's very hard to dismiss somebody who's willing to take you into the, the dark with them and then walk back out again. And um, I, I felt like the message that God, on my heart to write 
insisted that I was honest about where he's taken me and, and how he's rebuilt my life from basically um, just the depths really of, of shame and darkness and wanting to I never be seen. I, I wanted to hide. And, um, and compared to where I am now, that it's the exact opposite. And that was not me. That was him. And that was what he has done in my life. And so to understand how could I not, how could I not take readers through um, my own story to some extent to get them to the reality of what God could do in their life? I just felt like it was necessary. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Christian Healthcare Ministries. You want to create a strong Christian family that will uphold one another through thick and thin. What if healthcare worked the same way? With Christian Healthcare Ministries, budget-friendly, compassionate care is within your reach. CHM empowers you to pursue excellence in healthcare without added stress or the need to cut corners. Whether you're looking for a comprehensive maternity program or the flexibility to choose your own providers, CHM has options to fit your family's specific needs. As the nation's first and longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry, you can rest assured knowing that you are making a difference in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Plus, you'll receive all the faith-based support of joining the larger CHM family. Encouragement and spiritual resources created for you and your little ones is just the beginning. Sounds different? It's by design. Join hundreds of thousands of members and discover the biblical solutions to your health care costs. To learn more, visit chministries.org. Since 2016, CBF has brought you episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. The, the critical argument of this book is, is to build a foundation <laughs> for a firm faith. You wrote uh, mm-hmm. a word of warning. There's no faking it. And this isn't a performance for anyone else. God knows mm-hmm. if you're all there or if you're holding something back from him. Do you think many Christians lack a firm foundation as a result of the brand of Christianity we've been selling for the last hundred years or more, you know, namely a a faith that's consumeristic in which Mm -hmm. the idea is you show up to receive, um, you know, words from a pastor, you lift your hands for what tends to be, you know, individualistically driven praise songs. You put your kids in the best programs, you tithe, you know, Mm -hmm. where does a mature developmental formation take place in that kind of Christianity? Yeah. So, um, there, the three practices in the book, the first one is very simply to come to Jesus. And if you carefully read the parable that the book is based on, I think that that's the insight we're missing a lot in Christianity in general is the, the comparison of these two guys, these two, these two builders in the parable is that one of them heard the word and didn't follow through on it. 
and the other one heard the word and did follow through on it. But if you read the words of Jesus carefully, his first sentence, right before he says the parable, he says, for everyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts it into practice, he is like a man who dug down deep and built his house on the foundation of rock. Now, the other builder heard the word, but didn't do it. And I believe the difference is, and the thing that we're missing in our sort of brand of Christianity, if you will, our most recent version of it, is that we have not, we've been missing this aspect of bringing your whole self before God, of truly coming to Jesus. Because you could sit in a church your whole life, you could actually do good things your whole life, and never actually have come to Christ truly with your whole self connected to him connected to his body and live as an expression of that and that's what i believe compels the one builder to actually hear what is said and build it and the other one hears what is said and doesn't and i believe it's because he never came he never actually came to jesus and the whole first part of the book is about what it looks like in your life to come to him in a state of almost brutal honesty, almost raw honesty. And that's why the quote you just read says, you cannot fake this. If you will not examine your own um, state before God, your own connection with Christ, then you could you could sit in a pew and listen to scripture and sing praise songs for 30 years and never actually end up with a faith that's built on Christ. And that to me, that that's the burn that I have in my heart is for genuinely decent people who never, who never ever do that. And, um, I'm, I'm like a, I'm a pusher. I'm a finger in your chest kind of person a little bit. Um, when I speak, I tend, tend toward challenge and it isn't because I'm not soft hearted. It's because I think we need a shove. I think we need a shove in that direction, like a, a wake up call to go, Hey, nice people, the world over. That's not what Christianity actually is. Christianity is you need a savior. And it doesn't matter how cleaned up and church going and nice you are on the outside. And so, um, you know, that truly is the people I hope end up with this book in their hands um, going like, oh, wow. Hey, I'm not sure I've ever given an honest confession in my whole life. Or I've always wondered this about God. How could I never have actually said that out loud to him? You know, it's these moments where we get really raw and really honest, where the, that's where we meet a living God. And you can't unsee that. You know, you can't unknow it. Once you've tasted that, you want it over and over and over again. Developing the, the type of faith that you're talking about is tough. In fact, you write a whole chapter on expecting resistance. What do you mean by <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah. Um, well, from the very first man and woman, there's been a resistance kind of lodged against 
intimacy and relationship with God. That's what Adam and Eve enjoyed. And that's exactly what Satan came after. And he wanted to drive a wedge and he did some very specific things to do that. And so the chapter on expecting resistance is when you come to Jesus and you're, you're in, like it's real. Um, and you actually start to try to move toward a life of real faith. You should expect the same types of resistance that people have been getting since the beginning. And some of that is, you know, things like, um, when we think that something there's something good that God is holding out on us. That's just one, for instance. Um, we tend to think that maybe a life with God, a life truly devoted to Christ is going to be somehow less than what the world can offer. That's that's a great example of something that's been, accusation has been lodged at people from the very beginning. And so what I do in that chapter is just go like, hey, there's gonna be a voice there's going to be situations, there's going to be beliefs you have that are going to come against your ability to practice your faith. And you should just know that because knowing it for me has been half the battle because as soon as I expect it, I tend to see it and then it's easier to get over. Um, but we all, I think the world, our own flesh and the enemy of God, they're all in kind of a perfect storm against our real everyday practice of faith. And I think just being aware of that is super helpful and not something anybody ever told me. You know, we think some of those voices in our head are our own and they're not. And the good, um, you know, the good part of that for me is that they're also, we are not alone in that, that the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our helper, our reminder, our our power to overcome that, you know, we are absolutely not alone in that space. And um, I always think anytime I feel a tension or like an internal battle over, am I really going to do this? Is this really God? Those kind of questions. I know that the very presence of the Holy Spirit is what's causing that, that conflict in me. If, if the Holy Spirit wasn't present in me and around the body of Christ, there wouldn't be any tension. There wouldn't be any conflict. So when I feel that, I, I try to move into like, okay, praise God, I'm feeling tension and conflict. That means God is at work here. So let, you know, let's back up and figure out what's really going on. And usually it's resistance. Yeah, I was alluding to this earlier. I think one of the biggest obstacles for American Christians to overcome <laughs> is American Christianity in, in the West. We've created a, <laughs> an egocentric faith. It's all about an individual relationship with mm -hmm. Jesus. When most of the you stated in the Bible are the collective and plural you. Mm -hmm. So more of a you all, or as we would say down here in the South, y'all. Y'all. Um, <laughs> there's, there's two main issues um, I think this creates uh, among many others. The first is that because we are taught that our faith is a personal relationship with Jesus only. The pressure is all on the collective me when things are not going the way they should. My faith mm -hmm. is not firm. My relationship with God is not right. I can't do this. So how do we overcome that individualistic nature to create a firm foundation that maybe isn't as me-centric as it should be? Yeah, I had a, a professor in seminary and he said, we need a y'all version of the Bible. I love that. <laughs> he said that would really highlight how many yous are are translated. You know, we hear them as individual yous, but it's to your point, 
he said, I, I think we could pull that off down here in Texas somewhere. We could do a y'all version of the Bible. It'd be very enlightening. So, um, yeah, I agree that that's, that's certainly what I was also taught. And I think that I do think that there must be a deeply personal connection with Christ. But I think what we, what we kind of fail in is that we actually have the privilege and the honor of getting to borrow on the faith of others. And so in terms of building a foundation, if, if that's where I am, if that's where, you know, any of your listeners are, um, connecting yourself even to the very flawed and imperfect churches that we're all a part of, right? There is no good luck finding a church that's not going to irritate you at some point. So yes, they're, they're filled with flawed people and they are flawed churches. However, we, when we connect ourselves through them to the body of Christ and other people, we get to borrow the like riches that are buried in the body as a whole. So I don't have to go at this thing alone. There is strength, there's belief, there's faith, there's resources, there's help, there's there's the miraculous. There's all kinds of things waiting for me in the collective body of Christ that I will never be able to access if I won't attach myself to the body. There, Christianity, there, the New Testament knows nothing of individual Christianity. It, was, it wasn't a thing. And for us, it's the only thing we communicate. And um, we were at, so I'll, I'll tell you this really quick story where God, um, he really scolded me a bit uh, on a, an experience I was having. We do camps at Crossroads and I love the outdoors. I would not say that I'm a camper because with that distinction comes a lot of gear and you're kind of hardcore and that's, I'm not a camper, but I'll camp if there's a distinction. I hope you can appreciate that. So we do camps at Crossroads and we do one for women and I always speak at it. And it's like 1800 women. I mean, it's more like a festival than a camp. And I got exhausted just from all the people contact. And I was kind of zipped in my tent, just taking a little bit of a time out. And I was asking, I was just talking to God and I was asking him, Hey, can you, will you refresh me? Will you be with me? Can you, can you, um, can you energize me for the rest of the time here? I'm feeling really depleted. And I was sitting there and I could hear worship going on in the main tent. And I felt this nudge from the Holy Spirit going, hey, if you're looking for that, you, you can hear where that is. You can hear where you're going to find that. So get out of your tent and go get it. You know, and, and for me, that was like, you know, I'm, I'm using my own language for something that I just felt I sensed from, from the spirit, but, um, it was not what I wanted. I wanted to stay by myself. I wanted to just energize on my own. I wanted to be by myself. And I just felt like the Lord went, Hey, my, my power, my energy, my life, my faith, my rebuilding, my redemption, it is in the company of my people. So get out of there and go get it because that's what you just asked me for. And so it, I have returned to that experience over and over again, because I will tend toward the same mentality that we, we have in the church at large, which is to put everything squarely on my own connection with Christ. And it's, 
it's just not true. There's so many things that exist in the collective body of Christ. And when we're trying to build, why would you not want that? You know, why would you not want to go and get what you can actually borrow from others? Yeah, let's let's go right there, which is, you know, the other main major issue of an individual individualistically centric faith is a lack of sound ecclesial theology. Um, mm -hmm. You know, where does the actual authentic journey with the necessary aspect of our faith that we tend to forget about the church, you know, how does that fit into this conversation of building a firm foundation? You mean we forget, um, can you, you mean we forget to talk about what the church actually is? Like we're not teaching it well, is that what you mean? No, I think as a, a byproduct of the individualistic faith that many of us were raised on, oh, we mm -hmm. forget that the church is a necessary aspect of our faith journey, right? We, oh, none is seeing one of us no to be doubt. body of Christ unto ourselves. So, wh where does the role of the church fit into you know developing a faith that lasts? You know, when I think about the church at large, in my experience, is um, we do tend to approach church more as an elective, more as like an add-on. And I think part of it is developing deep, rich community with the expectation that people are going to live their life um, with the church at the center, which is so foreign to even, I mean, I would say anyone younger than me, certainly. And even that's even a, a, a bit of a foreign concept to somebody who's, who's my age. And I, I'm not, I'm 45. I can own it. It's all good. But we do not expect life to revolve around the rhythms of the communities that we're in. We treat them as though they're peripheral. When in fact, the world is peripheral to the church not the other way around. And so part of it, I think, is is having individuals and then family units that are centered around the rhythms of a, a, a community. And I, I am becoming more and more interested in our experiences flesh to flesh, like embodied, because so much of our lives are drifting toward the online medium. But yet, what I see in my experience inside the church is when you, when you're in the room and you can, you can look someone in the face and touch flesh and blood and you sacrifice your time to be somewhere else, to be present with people, the very presence of God is also with you in a way that you can't accomplish other ways. And I think we're forgetting that because what we're being taught and told is that you can have vibrant community and that it will deeply satisfy you and it can all be done without your physical presence. And I just don't believe that. I, I believe that our lives, our embodied lives, including rhythms of being in community with others, other believers is crucial, crucial, crucial to our well-being. And I say that as a mother of four in a family of six who struggles with a schedule and a busy life just like everybody else. So it, it's a huge tension that I, that I try to manage in my own life of making the world peripheral to the church instead of the other way around. So as, as you look at this resource, uh, how do you imagine churches using this together? The book? Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I hope what happens with it is I hope that groups of people read it together and experience it together because um, it does talk a lot about um, forging that initial raw, real connection with Jesus, but done in community, I think would be the most powerful experience. It's part of why I um, included the appendix that is almost like a study. It's sort of a, a more in-depth version of the material, hoping that groups would tackle it together. Because I think as you expose your relationship with God, if you will, but you're doing that in a group, it ends up putting pieces together that you can't put together on your own. I think we know better who we are in the body of Christ when we're actually functioning within it. You know, we can think whatever we want about ourselves, but the truth is you are who you're being in the body of Christ. And so sometimes we need the presence of others to even locate ourselves. And I think God designed us that way on purpose. So my, my genuine desire is that people would read it, yes, as, a, as an individual, but as an individual that's connected to a body. Lastly, uh, what's your hope for your readers? Oh, my hope for my readers is really simple. It is that they would connect with a living God in every possible way. My faith was built in experience with Jesus that you cannot now take out of my life. It is become my foundation. And the more I can offer encouragement and help for people to connect with a living God, and I, I just believe that's deeply done in the scriptures and in the body. I think those are, that's his word. That's where he lives. <laughs> and um, if I can help readers connect with Jesus through his word and push them into a living experience with him, I know that they are going to be, they're never going to want to go back. Our guest is Allie Patterson. The book is How to Stay Standing. You can stay connected with Allie by visiting theallypatterson.com. Allie, uh, it's been a joy talking with you. Thank you for challenging us to see that rebuilding is possible because of the foundational work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, um, I'd love to stay connected and I, I just really appreciate your work. So thank you for asking me to be on. Before we wrap up, we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Are you looking for a Bible study resource for your church? Responding to an invitation from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has produced Bible study resources that is available for free of charge. The study title, Faithful Curiosity, Five-Week Study of Luke and Acts, deals with three passages from Luke and two passages from Acts. It offers Bible study methods and provides two interpretive essays for each passage. The writers are BSK faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Download this resource for free today at bsk.edu backslash faithful. 
Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Go ahead and click that subscribe button. Be sure to rate and review the podcast as it helps others find us. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.